Hey, everybody, this is Pat Abendroth. Welcome to the Pactum. I'm joined as per our usual arrangement with Mike Grimes. Hey, everybody. Glad you're here. Glad you're in the house, Mike. Why are you turning so weird when you turn to look at me? <laughs> Something's wrong with my neck, and I don't know what it is, so don't call me out right away. Sorry. I feel like I have whiplash. Huh. So a few year, a couple of years ago, I hit a tree branch that was low-lying, knocked me to my bum, as they would say, mm. uh, across the pond. Yep. And uh, it was awful, terrible, felt like I had whiplash. Well, it feels exactly the same the last couple of days, and I haven't done anything differently. So mm. do I go see what kind of medical professional I'm trying to decide? My wife just keeps hounding me to do it in a sanctified, godly way, of yes. course. Yep. But three Advil today, it's not doing much. Ooh. I woke up Saturday morning, no, Sunday morning at like four, just about ready to die. Mm. So... Anyway, did I say this is an episode of the Pactum? I don't know. You did. If I, I think. didn't, welcome to the Pactum. And we have a show today that is going to be extraordinary, above average, probably the best podcast being recorded in Omaha, Nebraska right now. Absolutely. Uh, perhaps. I don't know for sure, but I think it might be. We're going to be talking about the assurance of faith, hmm. which means we're talking about assurance, but more specifically, we're talking about the assurance of faith, which is a book title. It's almost a booklet. It's so small. Small, yeah. uh, by Louis Burkhoff. I have it in my hot little hands here. I like this little book. It's all dog-eared. It's 60 pages, at least this edition. And so it's not a book re review edition of the Pactum. Uh, we do want to talk about assurance, but we also want to promote and recommend this helpful little book. Uh, you can get a free copy from monergism.com, a link in the show notes. You can also pick up an actual physical copy here at the bookstore if you're local. Yep. Or you can order one from someplace like Amazon. I want to call it Scamazon. Scamazon. But I'm not really anti-Amazon, <laughs> but we have these strange labels for things in my house. And so I'm trying to get Scamazon That's, to start, I like that. get That's some traction good. for us. I'll probably never stop ordering from them, but it's right? true. Right? Until somehow they say Christians aren't worthy of being served by them. There you go. Uh, which I hope doesn't happen, but you could see it happen. Yes. So just to kind of prime the pump, this book by Burkhoff, uh, early on he says, this little book is born of the conviction that the subject of a assurance of faith deserves more attention than it often receives. Mm. So I think that right there whets my appetite and gets me intrigued. He also says there are comparatively few Christians today who really glory in the assurance of salvation. Mm. And then he talks about the joy that seems to have died. Yeah. And I, I, I want to do the hashtag um, make assurance great again. Oh, so that's what I'm. That's what I'm all about. I think we need Let's to do it. to go back to that. And I think Burkhoff, if he were still alive, would would echo that sentiment. Yeah. Uh, because we don't talk a lot about assurance, and even sometimes if we do, I actually read one book on assurance that seemed to be more driven by trying to take assurance away hmm. uh, than anything else. Hmm. Uh, sometimes you hear people teach through First John, which is designed to yeah. give you assurance. Yeah. And they make it all about how to not have assurance. Right, right. So don't get me wrong. I think there's a place to not have assurance, which we'll get into. But let's try to make assurance great again, because it's actually a hallmark of the Christian faith, certainly in the Reformed tradition. Yeah. So maybe to start off, Pat, we could talk just a little bit about what do we even mean by assurance? Because we keep saying this word assurance and having the assurance of faith. What do we mean? We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about knowing for sure that God has accepted us and not only has accepted us, he will accept us. Mm. So we're talking about having a certainty that you're forgiven, uh, that you've, all of us, the Bible teaches are sinners. We violated God's commandments. Uh, we're worthy of 
just condemnation, fair condemnation. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, we look to Christ, and we look to Christ as an atoning sacrifice, uh, as our perfect righteousness, the one who was raised on our behalf, ascended and claims us as his own. So assurance would would be, I have confidence Mm. in this life, and I'm not afraid of judgment to come. Uh, That's Christian assurance. That's what we're talking about. We have security, if you will. We have assurance. Uh, We have perfect righteousness from Christ. We have perfect atonement from Christ. That's really what assurance is talking about. So if we're thinking about assurance, are there people who shouldn't or aren't going to affirm assurance as we're talking about it? I think there are people. In fact, there are people who aren't supposed to have assurance, which is kind of funny to think about. Uh, The obvious one is unbelievers shouldn't have assurance, uh, even though when you go to their funerals, funerals, they sure seem to talk as if they have assurance. Uh, Salvation by death. So now, now that now that Johnny died, uh, Johnny's in heaven. How yep. do we know? Well, because Johnny died. Yeah. Yep. But they don't really mean it. They're not actually sure because when unbelievers talk about hope, uh, they're talking about I hope so. Yeah. Christians talk about hope. We have confidence in resurrection because of the resurrection of Christ. Yeah. But in the Burkhoff book called The Assurance of Faith, which we're promoting and engaging. Um, in that book, he takes aim really at two groups of people who, according to their own doctrines, according to their own settled convictions, uh, don't have assurance and they don't think having the kind of assurance we're talking about is a good idea. Yeah. And those two groups would be Roman Catholics yep. and they would all, uh, it would also include Arminians. So let's talk a little bit about Roman Catholics and how they don't even want to have assurance. They don't want their people to have assurance. Yeah. Um, first of all, we're not here to bash Roman Catholics. Right, yeah. I thought it was interesting in the book, you know, Burkhoff is talking about Roman Catholics when he's talking about those who don't want to have assurance, don't want their churchgoers to have assurance. He says that it's actually undesirable to Roman Catholics to have assurance because the church greatly profits, he says, by keeping the souls of the faithful in constant suspense. Now, certainly they don't say that, and Burkhoff recognizes it, but according to the Roman Catholic system, I love I love Roman Catholics. Um, if you're a listener and you're Roman Catholic, awesome, but do know that your church, by doctrinal conviction, yeah. does not want you to have assurance. Right. So, and, and actually, this makes logical sense. Yes. I don't think it makes biblical sense. Yeah. Uh, read Romans 8 and see that the Bible definitely talks about assurance, but according to the Roman Catholic system, it makes logical sense because they deny justification by grace alone through faith alone in the finished work of Christ alone. Right, right. And if you deny that, it would actually make sense to not have assurance. Right, yeah, because the the Roman Catholics need to have infused righteousness over time as they're doing things. They need to go to confession. They need to take the sacraments. They need to do all these things. So if they provide them with assurance, well, then the system breaks down. And their assurance is actually tied to the church that can't actually provide uh, assurance in the system. Right. So do note, if you look at the Council of Trent, which Burkhoff interacts with, uh, we would be referred to as heretics having vain confidence Mm. or schismatics having vain confidence. And Rome would say the only way you can have certainty would be to have some sort of extraordinary special revelation, which wouldn't be common. Maybe it could come to a pope uh, or some sort of uh, religious leader, but it typically would be reserved for someone like that. So Protestants, as we'll talk about in a little while, differ here. 
but the Roman Catholic tradition says you can't have assurance. It's not good. It's not healthy. And the only way you could possibly have it would be if you had some sort of special revelation. And they don't mean special revelation as in the Bible. They mean beyond that. Right. Uh, they refer to it in at Trent as rash, presumptuous. Um, they really kind of diss on predestination and having confidence because of that. Uh, and I quote here, except by special revelation, it cannot be known whom God hath chosen unto himself. Hmm. And if we say we know, according to the canons, uh, let him be anathema. Yeah. Let him be condemned uh, to eternal destruction if we say that we have such things. Yeah. You can hear, just from reading that and hearing you say that, you could see how that would cause a certain amount of stress <laughs> in your life, if you could never be sure, I mean, that would cause you to want to just do anything and everything possible to abide by any system put before you by the church. I've got to make sure. I've got to make sure. And I guess to do that, I have to do all these extra things. And that's a heavy burden. It really is a heavy burden. And I'm grateful that God works and many people who are Roman Catholic uh, read their Bibles and they come to see Romans 8 and other texts and they end up saying, no, actually, I can be sure. Mm. Uh, And they end up leaving the church and for good reason. I do appreciate the fact that Rome, at least at Trent, makes things clear, though. Mm. I don't enjoy being anathematized for having assurance and promoting assurance, but at least you know where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. So I can appreciate that instead of kind of dodging the question or the issue at Trent, uh, they make themselves clear. You know, Pat, as we're sitting here talking about Roman Catholics, do you think Roman Catholics are Christians? I think Roman Catholics can be Christians, mm-hmm. uh, provided they're not good Catholics. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, and meaning, what we mean by that is if you believe what Rome actually says and they anathematize the gospel, well, then you're not a Christian. Yeah. Uh, but if you believe what the Bible says, and I've met numerous Roman Catholics who do, uh, and I say to them, I'm so glad you're a bad Catholic Mm, and you don't believe what your church actually teaches. Now, I would urge them to no longer be wed uh, to the system that teaches false doctrine. But absolutely. Uh, I was just talking to a man the other day and he said, well, well, I I know Catholic. I was telling him about someone who was Roman Catholic and was converted. Mm. And he said, but but I know Catholics who are Christians. Uh, and I said, well, that's good. That means they're bad Roman Catholics. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was a good, it was a good conversation because it allowed me to talk to him about justification, yeah. allowed me to talk to him about assurance and what assurance actually looks like and how we can have it and how we should have it as Christians, but, but, but why Rome doesn't want people to have it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about a second group. We mentioned those who shouldn't uh, affirm assurance and who wouldn't affirm assurance. We've talked about the Roman Catholics. What's the second group? The second group that shouldn't affirm assurance, even though we think they should, their tradition says they shouldn't, would be those who are Arminian, Mm. uh, not Armenian, but Arminian. Arminians, Uh, yeah. We talked about them in a recent episode when we talked about Calvinism. Uh, We would also say that they're also, like Roman Catholics, they're what's called in theology semi-Pelagian. So Pelagius was a heretic who didn't believe in sin, thought you, if you needed to be saved, you could save yourself. Uh, Semi-Pelagianism is just his strange cousin. Maybe R.C. Sproul (laughs) would say (laughs) his strange cousin, Semi. No, uh, 
partial Pelagian, meaning right, right. people are sinful, uh, and yet they can cooperate with God, and God does his part, they do their part. And so Arminians are semi-Pelagian. They don't believe in the doctrine of total inability and things like that, perseverance, things like that. So semi-Pelagians uh, are not supposed to believe in eternal security because you can lose your salvation mm, yeah. uh, if you have it. Yeah. And so Burkhoff talks about Methodists, uh, but they wouldn't be the only ones. So people within the Wesleyan tradition, yeah. whether it be Nazarene or Methodists or others, uh, but he's aiming at them in particular. Yeah. So now to qualify a little bit, and Burkhoff does this, sometimes those who are Arminian think you can have assurance. Yes, he talked about that. Yeah, think, but it's temporary. It's assurance about the now, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you can have confidence about judgment day. Sure, yeah. So you may lose your salvation in the in-between time, or maybe you're confident now, but you can't do enough for ultimate judgment. Sure. And that would be contrary to those in the Reformed tradition. So... Maybe we could think about in terms of revivals and you watch crusades and things like that. Yeah, yeah. People come forward. Commonly, you would have counselors say, now you can be sure, and they'll misquote First John out of context, yep. and you should be sure of your salvation, but that may go away. Yeah. Yep. And so that's more of an Arminian kind of thing. You're not supposed to have ultimate confidence on about Judgment Day, which we would differ with, and we'll talk about that. Mike, have you ever thought you could lose your salvation? I don't think you probably, the way you were raised, you probably never thought that, or did you? You know, I, I don't think I ever did. I think I never understood uh, the idea that there was a way to lose it or that there was a way to be 100% sure when I was younger, um, but I, I don't think I ever did, no. Good. <laughs> I used to think you could lose it, um, just reading the Bible, certain passages, warning passages, not understanding that there would be such a thing as those who profess faith who aren't actually Christians, First John 2, 19, uh, other texts like that. I definitely thought you could. Uh, early in my Christian life, my brother, who I will blame for this, <laughs> used to send me tapes from Calvary Chapel. And so he was a great and positive influence. So I, I'm kind of kidding about all of this. <laughs> but he introduced me to Calvary Chapel, which was started by Chuck Smith, Southern California, kind of Jesus movement. And a lot of good came from Calvary Chapel because they taught the Bible verse by verse, or maybe still, in fact, still do, but not sound historical, not sound systematic theology. And so it was a little bit of gobbledygook when it <laughs> came to uh, theological matters. So they teach you can lose your salvation. At least they certainly did teach that. Sure. Yeah. So Calvary Chapel is still around today. I just did a search yesterday on Calvary Chapel's website to see the Calvary Chapels in our area. And so Love Church here in Omaha is yes. still yep. considered a Calvary Chapel church. I didn't know if they were or they weren't anymore. Hmm. Uh, they seem to follow more of a Stephen Furtick kind of style paradigm, but I think theologically uh, they would be in that Wesleyan tradition where you can have your salvation, but you can lose your salvation. Right. And we, Burkhoff would say uh, that is errant, that is a foul, that is not biblical, uh, that's not in the Reformed tradition, and he does a good job of dealing with these issues. I guess before I forget, Mike, I meant to say this earlier. If you pick up the book, The Assurance of Faith, which we would encourage you to do, whether it's digital or an actual physical copy, my personal advice would be skip to the last, read the preface hmm. and skip to the last chapter sure, and then read the rest and it'll be a lot simpler. Hmm. It's not an overly complex book, but Burkhoff is an academic yeah, and yeah. I think there's a lot of repetition. It can be a little unclear. 
read the preface, read the last chapter, and be blessed. And then go back. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend that for a, like, it's funny. My a lot kids of things. Went, yeah, I mean, yeah. My daughter, she picked up a new uh, fiction book she's reading. She turned to the back. I was like, what are you doing? Don't do that. So for here, we would recommend that. We would, definitely. <laughs> I think you'll, you'll have a better time. Okay, so we've talked a little bit, Pat, here about uh, who wouldn't or shouldn't affirm assurance of faith according to their practice, uh, Roman Catholics and semi-Pelagians. Who is supposed to affirm assurance? Definitely those who would be reformed in their theology and their understanding of Scripture. This is definitely worth quoting from Burkhoff where he says, the reformers rejoiced in the assurance of salvation as a tower of strength. Mm. This Christian certitude, great word, made them irresistible. Another great word. I better restart that. (laughs) This Christian certitude made them irresistible in their attacks on the church of Rome and adamant in resisting the onslaughts of the enemy. They were the first to place the doctrine of assurance, which they regarded as a precious jewel prominently in the foreground. The first also to impress upon the people the necessity of personal assurance. This was one of their most important points of departure from the church. Now he's talking about Rome Mm -hmm. that claimed to be the only ark of safety and yet was totally unable to engender a feeling of security in the hearts of those who sought shelter in it. False advertising from the church of Rome and the Protestants and in particular, the reformers really emphasized this and sought to recover it uh, because it had been stolen from what was clearly taught in scripture by Roman Catholicism. So our episode today isn't on Reformed theology per se, Mm -hmm. and we're not here to promote and defend Reformed theology in particular, but this is a byproduct. This is owned by the reformer. So if you associate and you say, oh, I believe in Reformed theology, I'm Reformed, well, that that should go hand in hand then, that you are one who promotes and defends the reality of assurance, that Christians can and should have assurance, that it is a good blessing from God. It is something that is a certitude, that is irresistible, and other good things like that, like Burkhoff would say. You know, Pat, I did read the book close enough to notice, though, that Burkhoff does acknowledge and point out that there are some who maybe deviate a little bit, and they're not true in their theology, and don't actually affirm assurance who are of the Reformed faith. Yes, so there are those who say, I'm Reformed, who are part of that tradition, and yet they sound actually more like Arminians. Yeah, they do. Uh, And so they're being inconsistent, and yet Burkhoff does acknowledge, and I think it's one reason he writes the book. He's concerned that there are people who say they're Reformed, they side with Reformed theology, and yet they are weak at best when it comes to biblical assurance. Yes, yeah. And so they're acting Romish, if you will. They're acting Arminian-ish, if you will, uh, even even though they would say they're not aligned with that side, but by weakening the reality of assurance, they sound rather Arminian. Yeah. So as we're talking about the Reformed faith and how they would affirm assurance, what basis would the Reformed typically affirm assurance? Upon what basis? Mike, I think you're kind of uh, maybe needing a little caffeine I jolt over there, out struggling the a little to... bit. He did just come back from vacation. I I, uh, he just, <laughs> a life that that guy lives, I'll tell you what. <laughs> tell you what. Oh, Anyhow, life so, for the rich and famous. So I did bring something here that was recommended by one of our listeners. And so oh, I'm going to bust out the Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola with coffee. So... We have two different blends here that we're going to sample because because Mike, co-host Mike, <laughs> Crazy Mike Grimes needs a little boost. So, I do need a boost. so ready? Oh yeah, in stereo. 
So um, now don't drink out of the can not, because just, I want to send... I'm getting a whiff here, like just oh, a whiff of okay. it smells like coffee and Coke. It I want to taste both. So pour some for me, pour some for you. We're going to be sharers here today okay. on the podcast. Right, 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 right. And uh, we're not promoting Coca-Cola. We heard they don't like Christians um, yeah, or something like not, that. This episode is not <laughs> brought to you by Coca-Cola. Now, wait a minute. We're getting, the, we're getting these confused. That one's vanilla. These two here, uh, that one's vanilla, and this is dark blend. So, Okay. There's a dark blend. There's a dark. There's a vanilla. We're going to do the taste test. Uh, Listeners, since this is a theological podcast, I hope you can experience this vicariously. Yeah. Because that's a good (laughs) theological word. Which one are you trying first? I think I'm just, oh, it smells like, kind of smells like coffee and Coca-Cola. It does. What a moment here. Which one have you got? Mm. Wow. That was the... That was the dark. This was the dark I just had. I don't know if I did the dark or the vanilla because it tastes pretty good. That's fascinating. I don't know which one's which. That one's vanilla. Yeah. They both taste like artificial sweetener to me. They do. That's super, well, it's because it's zero sugar. That's got to be. I didn't want anybody to know that part because I don't think that was the kind they recommended. Oh, really? But since I am on the Nutrisystem diet or NutraSweet diet or what weight, I don't know what I'm on. I'm on, some kind of, I'm on, the, I'm on the Pat <laughs> You're diet. You're on the Pat diet. So I'm on the I have a bike race in a month uh, diet and need to weigh less That's diet. fascinating. It tastes equally like coffee and like Coke all at the same time. I can't believe that's possible. I like it. I like it. So that's thank really you for the recommendations. Bad. We're not going to do coffee drinking uh, games in all of our podcast episodes, but we're doing it today. I kind of like that. Because we're foodies and yeah, we like coffee. We so yeah. Keep up the recommendations. I need to take one more drink before we move on. More, one more smell. Oh, it, it passes this, the pack the, and the sniff pack test. The sniff test. <laughs> Which is branded, by the way. So don't think about using that. That's right. Because we talked about it before. We did. <laughs> well, now that we're a little bit caffeinated, rejuvenated. Uh, did you notice this is decaf? No, I'm kidding. It's it not. doesn't. It's, there's no way that's decaf. I know. Come on. Well, now that we're all caffeinated up, and I might be able to actually say this without fumbling over my words. We are enunciating <laughs> on the pactum. Oh, man. So, Pat, let's talk. Upon what basis do the Reformed typically affirm assurance? Because we're saying the Reformed faith are the ones who should and would affirm assurance. But upon what basis are they going to do that? I would say it's on a twofold basis with the emphasis on the... Um, First one? Yes, So for sure. twofold basis, first and foremost, and really putting the emphasis here, we would say you have assurance based upon the finished work of Christ. Yes. Yeah. If his work is done, it is finished. If it is complete, if atonement has been made in full, if the law's requirements have been upheld perfectly, we can and should have assurance. Right. So texts like Romans 5, 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a done reality, to put it strangely. Yeah. We have been justified by faith. We have, not we might, or maybe someday if we do enough, right. no, present possession, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. So finished work, Romans 8, 1 is also good. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Mm. And I think, and I, perhaps we've talked about this on the, on the program before, and we will for sure talk about it again. Uh, he's looking to the future judgment day where there is justification and condemnation, but he's saying that that's brought into the here and now right, by yeah, faith. It's already. And so by faith in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So we know now even what the future will bring because the work of Christ is done. 
Yeah, and along the same line, Second Corinthians 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. So it's already it's done. It's already done. He's looking to the future, right. and he's saying present reality now. So inauguration, consummation. Inauguration in the here and now, but it's guaranteed connection to the consummation. Right. We already are part of the new creation. Yeah. So we can and should go text after text that it is because Jesus' work is done. We trust in him, so we gain his benefits. We're in Christ by faith. We're united to Christ by faith. We receive Christ and all of his benefits. Of course we're sure. Yeah. We're and, and it's not arrogant or prideful because we're not sure of ourselves. It's not sure, yeah. Yep. That actually would be arrogant and prideful. Yeah. Uh, but if we're looking to another for all of it and the, the, the Lord God himself said about his son, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Uh, we should have assurance. Christians should have assurance. Uh, let's make assurance great again. And really what we're doing <laughs> is reminding everyone of just how great Christ is. He's mighty to save. Yeah. When I think about assurance and we're talking about this, I think about it's the object of our faith. And as Christ is the object of our faith, well, of course we can have assurance because of him and what he has done. And if the object of our faith is, look at my life and my faithfulness, there is no assurance to be found there. So the basis for our assurance is absolutely on the finished work of Christ. And it comes back and relates to this matter of sola fide, faith mm. alone. Yeah. Because if Christ actually is our perfect righteousness, if he actually is the perfect propitiation for our sins, there's nothing left to be done other than to trust in him. Yeah. And so faith alone, because there's nothing left to be done. Right. So it only makes sense for us if we affirm sola fide to be people who are men and women of assurance. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the second basis for our assurance then? You said there were two, emphasis on the finished work of Christ, the second being what? So the second one would complement the first, and that would be the testimony of the Spirit that Romans 8 talks about, uh, the fruit born by the Spirit in our lives. Mm -hmm. So we have been born again, we've been regenerated unto newness of life. The Bible would emphasize such things. The historic Protestant confessions would also uh, affirm these sorts of things. Uh, Heidelberg Catechism definitely would do that. It even says this, since then we are redeemed Redeemed from our misery by grace through Christ without any merits of ours, without any merit of ours, why must we do good works? There's the question. Mm-hmm. And the answer is in part that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by the fruits thereof. Yeah. Dort, the canons of Dort do the same thing. Westminster Confession does a similar thing. Other Protestants, Protestant confessions like the London Baptist Confession do the same sort of thing. Uh, we know them by their fruits. Yeah. It's the product of the new birth. It's a product of the work of God in us by the power of the Spirit. So 1 John chapter 3 talks about this. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter right. 5 would talk yeah. about this. So they are the fruits, the byproducts, the things that come as a result of being united to Christ. Yeah, and I think this is where uh, some Christians can get a little bit uh, uneasy about assurance is because we start talking about good works and how that all plays a role in our assurance. And so that's why we say the emphasis goes on the finished work of Christ. But there certainly is a a role that our fruit uh, or our good works do have in assurance. Absolutely. Yep. So it's not either or, it's both and, but the second one would be of no value if it weren't for the first one. Right. And even if we're we're honest, Mike, and 
we want to be honest. Yes, we do. Um, if we're honest, if we think in terms of what God actually requires when it comes to works, when it comes to obedience, if he requires personal, perfect, perpetual obedience. Mm. Uh, so to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love neighbor as self. So even motives are included. Absolute perfect motives in loving God with our entire being, all of our affections. Well, if we're honest about that, and I'm looking to that for my assurance, I, I, it's, it's, it's shaky ground. How mm. can I actually have assurance? Mm. Uh, so look to Christ, yeah. then the fruit of looking to Christ, the fruit of the new birth, and we see signs of life. Mm -hmm. uh, we were dead, now we're alive, but I don't want to put the emphasis there, right, uh, right. ultimate emphasis, uh, because if I'm honest, boy, is it really actually personal, perfect, perpetual, shaky ground? I'm looking to Christ for my righteousness, yeah. not looking to myself. Right. And I think that is a big mistake that people make. So we're not saying either or we're saying both and but first and foremost we we look to the finished work of Christ and then we do look to our lives but we look to our lives in a complementary sort of way based upon what Christ has done for us right. now we're looking at what he's doing in us yes, through yeah. his spirit but keeping things in the right order yeah so we're kind of alluding to this pat a little bit here as we're talking about good works and the fruit we see in the Christian's life but maybe we talk now a little bit about where shouldn't we go or where where shouldn't we turn for assurance of our salvation? I thought Burkhoff's treatment of this was in part worth the price of the book mm. because it gets controversial, and maybe I like a little bit of controversy, but he says it was one of the great mistakes of the pietism of the 17th and 18th centuries that in seeking the assurance of faith or of salvation, it divorced itself too much from the word of God. Mm. And he has a fascinating treatment of this yeah. where people focus on themselves yes, yeah. and they focus on this, what he calls a morbid introspection. Yeah. And so, and, and not only was it a morbid introspection, it was looking at your life, not so much the fruit that the Bible actually talks about, but mm -hmm. look at your life in comparison to so-and-so Christian sure, or such-and-such yeah. such Christian who was a great and godly man. I can't remember how he referred to them. He referred to them as these mighty oaks of the faith. And so now I'm supposed to look at my spiritual experiences who were supposed to be these established great men and women of the faith and use them as the standard Right. By which I judge myself. Right. He calls them very dubious characters. Okay. Yeah. So if we're going to look at a very dubious character and compare ourselves to them to find our assurance, it's that's it's crazy because they're not living up to the personal, perfect, perpetual obedience that's required. Yeah, they actually so, are not. Yep. And we're going to measure ourselves against it. It's just moralism. Yep. He said during that time, what ended up happening was assurance was a rare privilege. Yeah. It wasn't the rule. It was the exception. So you had to be extraordinarily godly Christian to have any kind of assurance. And so unhealthy, Burkhoff goes after it. Burkhoff said that all of that back then led to hopeless confusion, mm. perplexing doubts and uncertainties, and that became the norm. Yeah. So when it comes to these great mistakes that Burkhoff talks about that were associated with pietism, I think listeners, I would want to say to listeners, uh, be cautious just because it's old from the 17th or 18th century, sure. just because it's... Uh, quote unquote, a Puritan doesn't mean it's good. Hmm. There are good Puritans and there are not so good Puritans, as a matter of fact. 
So, so keep this in mind. Um, Burkhoff would not be a fan of everyone who had come before him who said they were reformed because some of them were promoting what he would call pietism. And it was actually not biblical. It wasn't biblical piety. It was pietism. And they're adding extra things to what the Bible says we should look to for assurance. Uh, and all of a sudden, before you know it, what should be the standard or the norm having confidence in your savior now all of a sudden because you're so uh, focused on yourself and your behavior and minutiae in your life you don't have assurance which is something you're supposed to be able to have right yeah and so be cautious be careful just because it's old doesn't mean it's good Uh, and gross introspection burkoff would say is not very helpful not very healthy get your eyes off of yourself look to christ find comfort and confidence in christ yeah So let's talk a little bit, Pat, about the title of this book. It's called The Assurance of Faith. Uh, What exactly does Burkhoff mean by the assurance of faith? And this is a bit controversial. Yeah. Even if you don't track with the controversy, I think the book is worth it. Yeah. But if you do, when he calls the book The Assurance of Faith, he is saying that saving faith necessarily involves a measure of personal assurance. Yeah. In other words, when you trust in Christ, when you place your faith, not in yourselves or a religious system, but in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you do that, he's arguing that there can be, that there should be a measure of personal assurance right there and right then. And this is controversial because there are some in the Reformed tradition who would take issue with that and who would disagree with that. So Burkhoff says, the question is rather whether saving faith necessarily includes an element of that subjective personal assurance, which engenders a feeling of security and fills the heart with confidence for the future. And so he argues that the Heidelberg Catechism supports his view. He argues that Calvin and Luther would say things that would seem to support his view. Canons of Dort would seem to support his view. And he would even say that the Westminster Confession would as well, Mm -hmm. even though there are certain things said in the Westminster Confession that might sound like they contradict that. And so he works his way through back and forth, basically suggesting he thinks the Westminster Confession is addressing a different sort of right. uh, emphasis. Yep, yep. Uh, so he he's arguing something a little bit controversial, but for our sake and for our intent and purpose, um, we don't need to get caught up in the controversy. But Pat, would you agree that there is the assurance of faith? I think I think so. I agree. I, I think he's convinced me, and not only has he convinced me, I think based upon texts like we read in Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8, and given the fact that we are justified now mm-hmm. and we have peace with God now, I think you don't have to wait for your Christian life to move forward a day, a two days, a week, 25 years, Mm -hmm. you can have assurance at the beginning of your Christian experience because it's tied to your trusting in the finished work of Christ. And yes, then complemented by other things that come after. Sure. But we can have assurance at the beginning. We don't have to wait for it. I'm on the Burkhoff team. Yeah. So we're, we're saying that you do not have to wait till you attain to a certain degree or level of sanctification 
understanding of various theological doctrines or maybe some teachings or whatever it may be. There's no kind of level or test you have to be able to pass an eclipse before you can say, yes, checkmark, I have assurance of faith. Absolutely. And and to do otherwise, I think Burkhoff would say, if we had him here at the microphone, uh, that's more Roman Catholic, more semi-Pelagian. Right. Uh, and we're talking about Reformed theology. Christ's work is finished. Right, right. Confidence in him. You can have assurance at the beginning. Right. So I would give that a hearty amen. Yeah. And that's back to those twofold things. You're looking to Christ and his finished work. And then, yes, you're going to see as a result of that fruit in the believer's life. Absolutely. So, Pat, as we're talking about this, you know, some may think, okay, how do we treat those who lack assurance? It seems, Mike, that there are so many different kinds of people who struggle with assurance or who have, a, have trouble with assurance. And so I think we should deal with people in different ways. And you might be listening and you might be one of those kinds of people who really struggle. And... I have compassion for you. We have people at this local church where Mike and I are pastors uh, that struggle with assurance for different different reasons and in different ways. Uh, but there are those. So, so let's just think through different kinds. Yeah. There are those who seem to be what Burkhoff calls chronic doubters. Yep. And sometimes they even create this impression uh, that they have this secret delight in doubting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes they even carry themselves as if they're extra godly because they doubt. Yes. So what, what I would typically want to do with such people would be to help them, to help them understand Christ, to help them to understand who Christ is, what he's done, uh, that objective assurance of yeah. looking outside of yourself. Yeah. I would want to do so with care, patience, concern, especially initially. Yeah. But there might come a time when it would be even eventually time for for a godly rebuke yep. to say, you know what, you need to move on, get your eyes off of yourself. Yeah. But yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that initially. Yeah. Because I don't know where people have been, what they've been taught, uh, how they've been thinking about these things. So let's be patient. Let's be deliberate. Let's be biblical. But let's move on this kind of gross introspection yeah. and look to Christ, move on with your life. It's not very helpful to have the, the spiritual Eeyore complex. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's time to move on beyond these things. Yeah. And Burkhoff would say, and I would agree, that, that most people, when you help them to see this in the Bible, uh, it's refreshing, it's enlightening, it's wonderful, mm-hmm. and they're ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to stay uh, in self-focus mode. Right. They're going to, to catch on, and we can be thankful for that. Right. Um, yeah, most people, when they, when they hear from the Word of God and the promises of God, that there's joy to be found in resting in the finished work of Christ and the assurance that comes from that they're going to be all on board with that. Yep. Another thing I would want to do with people who really struggle with assurance would be to find out who they're listening to and who they're reading. Yeah. Because there are some popular preachers who every time people listen to them, they doubt their salvation. Yeah. And I think those popular preachers uh, need to resign uh, and stop doing that and tell people about the glories of Christ. Right. And so it it is a problem. I can think of one individual in particular uh, who really, really struggles, and I have a heart for this individual. And, well, no wonder. You've been listening to the the goofball preacher for too long Mm -hmm. who calls himself Reformed, and he's just always busy scolding people. Uh, And it's it's, it's out of control. It's out of line. So Jesus Christ is mighty to save. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, having said that, there are people who profess faith in Christ who don't look like they're Christians and they're living a life that is very grossly 
dishonoring to Christ. Mm. And I would say, you know what? Maybe now it's time to subscribe to that philosophy that says it's time to afflict the comfortable Mm. and to say, you know what? You need to examine yourself. Uh, You need to stop uh, and think whether or not you're really a Christian. Yeah. So there's a place for that, but let's not have the tail wag the dog. Right. You know, Pat, as you're you're talking about this, I think about, you know, we're told in the Bible, in 1 John chapter 2, not to sin. Strongly uh, so. Don't, absolutely. Don't sin. Do not do this. And when we talk to people who are struggling with assurance, sometimes it's merely because they've recognized a pattern of sin in their life or something they're struggling with, and they've sinned, and they begin to think, ah, I'm not supposed to sin. But 1 John 2 also says that, well, if anyone does sin, he has an advocate, Jesus Christ the righteous. The righteous. The perfect yeah. law upholder who is our substitute. Yeah. So God sees us in Christ as if we are perfect. So don't sin. But if you do. If you do, you have an advocate. Remember Jesus Christ. Yes. And that really does help us in things. Right. Maybe one more thing to the negative to kind of put flesh on this. Someone was just asking me about uh, a professing Christian, a leader, a former pastor who has done horrific and scandalous things. And they asked me about the state of that person's soul. And my response has to be, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was something along the lines of after decades of apparent fruitfulness and trusting in Christ, and now we have this gross thing that happens. Well, if they are a child of God, God will discipline them. Yeah. Uh, and there will be repentance and there will be restoration, but only the Lord knows that. Yeah. And, and so we'll see. And if I could talk to that person, uh, I would say you don't have a you don't have a strong basis for assurance in your life right now, based upon your actions, based upon your ungodliness. But can I say they're not a Christian? I actually can't say that. Right, Mike. Because I'm a Christian mind reader, I think it would be good for you to go ahead and read from the confession that portion you were thinking about reading. Yes, at I this point thinking. in time in our episode. Yeah, as you're talking about this, I keep thinking about. Uh, I knew it. I, I I have been. It's just been keeps coming up in my mind uh, from the uh, the confession on assurance of salvation, and it says true believers may have the assurance of their salvation diverse ways shaken, diminished, and intermitted, as by negligence in preserving of it, by falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieved the spirit, by some sudden or vehement temptation, by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance, and suffering even such as fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet are they never destitute of the seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty out of which, by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by the which in the meantime they are preserved from utter despair. So what I appreciate about what you just read is the fact that there's balance. Uh, There may be dark times when true believers who should have assurance struggle with assurance, maybe because of their disobedience. Yeah. Uh, And again, we've referenced the fact that the Lord disciplines all those he loves Mm -hmm. and he will, but it doesn't mean that we always will have this bright, shining confidence because life has its ups and downs And sometimes we're more obedient than we are at other times. Yeah. So all this to say, how do we then deal with and how do we encourage those who are lacking assurance? Uh, We understand first that there may be those who are lacking assurance. It may be due to a struggle of sin in their life. Uh, They may be seeing a lack of fruit or something that they're struggling with. 
And we're saying pastorally to walk alongside them, to point them to Christ and His finished work, to encourage them with the gospel, and their assurance may yet again, as the uh, confession says, be renewed in due time. Yep. And if we're talking about getting them to do certain things behavior-wise, we want to make sure, get this, we want to make sure that we're having them do things that are right according to the Bible standards, Mm -hmm. not according to what brother, pastor, preacher, reverend you know, televangelist says, right, yeah. it's, it's not all about comparing yourself to the resolutions of Edwards yeah. or some other person who gave up everything to go be a missionary somewhere. And I mean, the list goes on and on comparing right. ourselves to other people right. uh, when in fact, what we need to do is, okay, what does the Bible say? Yeah. So look to Christ and then yes, it's true. We want to do what's right. Well, what does the Bible actually expect of you? What does God actually expect of you? Yes, let's do those things, but let's not introduce artificial things that are are not in the Bible. And yeah. I do think even at this point in time of the spiritual disciplines movement, mm-hmm. whereas some of those things are good and right and biblical, some of those things actually are not biblical mandates. Mm. They were what worked for somebody else. Sure. And they aren't biblical mandates. Now I impose them upon someone else. It's no wonder they're struggling with their assurance yeah. because the Bible never mandated that they fast. Yeah. And the Bible never mandated that they that they journal. Yeah. And the Bible never man and the list could go on and on. Right. So be on the lookout for for those kinds of things, Burkoff would certainly agree. Yeah. As we wrap up, I think a great place to go would be speaking of looking to the Bible and what the Bible actually says. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 12, the apostle Paul is talking about his own suffering and suffering can sometimes bring doubt and difficulty, but instead, or lack of assurance, but instead he says, but I am not ashamed for I am. No, notice the Mm. emphasis on assurance. I know that my life is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, I have assurance. (laughs) No, for I know whom I have believed or trusted, placed my faith in, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Mm. That's that's the spirit of what we're getting at. That's where we want to be in our focus. Let's be confident. Let's know because of whom we have believed. Mm. One recommendation I have on follow-up here, because some of this relates to the Morrow controversy, and so therefore I would recommend The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, which is a relatively recent book. So here we are recommending a book in our book recommendation episode, which seems kind of confusing. But if you want to read the book and then you want a little follow-up, Sinclair does a good job in that book, The Whole Christ. Yep. So we'll link to The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson and The Assurance of Faith by Burkoff in our show notes this week. Also want to remind you as we wrap things up today to follow us on social media, Twitter, The Pactum, and on Instagram, The Pactum Theology. You can, again, reminder, be sending us questions uh, for further Pactum Responsum episodes. We've enjoyed getting some more questions from our listeners, and we will be doing further episodes on the Pactum Responsum. I think sometime we should do the Pactum Absolvum. Ooh. And so people could send us their sins, and they could tell us all of the things they've been doing wrong, and we will say, I pardon you. <laughs> The Pactum Absolvum. No, we're not going to do don't that. Don't send those Please in, don't please. send those. We don't want them. We will block you forever. Yes. So you can be in touch with us on social media and also email for those of you who like email like Pat. Connect at thepactum.org. Thanks again for joining us today and for inspiring us to have a Coca-Cola taste test today. And we will be with you next time on The Pactum. The Pactum.